Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip focuses on the fear of poverty principle. Plus, an interview with CPA Allison Rife Martin. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, we have a great topic today from a returning guest, Allison the CPA. That's, what we're gonna, that's, that's your new um, Twitter handle, Allison, you, Allison oh. the CPA. Hey, I'm digging that one. <laughs> <laughs> so before before we got started, we were talking about some interesting uh, things that I, I didn't realize about the PPP loans and the money uh, that is received from it. You, you mentioned that that money is, is like, taxable? Uh, yeah. So when the PPP loan was rolled out and it, it, is, it has been a great source of relief to a lot of business owners who, you know, in the pandemic and uh, economic recession, it has been a lifeline to provide um, funds to help keep your uh, your employees on still on board and employed. Um what the IRS said was that it, while it is not considered taxable income for the proceeds that you receive from this loan, um, at the same time, you cannot deduct any expenses that you use to cover, the, uh, that you used uh, to apply against that loan. So, for example, if you used, if you got a $100,000 PPP loan and you applied $100,000 worth of payroll expense um, that you've paid out, well, you cannot take that against your bottom line. So, in effect, the payroll protection loan is, while forgivable, is in a roundabout way is considered taxable income. So, what I think that small business owners need to take a hard look at is what are their cash reserves and what choice do they want to make? Do they want to pay the income tax on it now or would it be better served to maintain as much cash as possible to, to just go ahead and pay the loan back over the time of the loan, knowing that there will be some interest income assessed to it or a interest expense included on it. I mean, it's a trade-off. I mean, I would imagine that in the end, it, the tax impact might be smaller over the long term versus the length of paying the loan back, but it's really a choice that you as business owners need to make. So it wouldn't be, they wouldn't get like the normal, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there like a, a small interest rate that they had to pay back if they paid it back in two years, but then if they didn't go that route and did the longer route, then it, it was like the whatever higher interest rate yeah. for a normal yeah. loan. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it, they do give you very favorable interest terms. And again, the, the loan is, you know, over, a, I believe it's a five-year period. But, you know, again, it's just really the trade-off. What, what do you want to do right now, knowing that we're coming up still on some, you know, economic economic marketplace uncertainty. Do you want to hold your cash reserve or do you want to pay the tax now? That's where you'd want to get with your CPA to figure out the potential tax impact on agreeing to do loan forgiveness versus paying it out over paying the loan back. And I guess it boils down to just being uh, simply is just doing the math. All right. If, you know, here, here will be the taxes, here would be the interest you pay and then just make the decision based on the math. 
Exactly right. So like if you like I you know think of to my example of payroll expense of a hundred grand, and if you as a business owner your income tax rate is twenty percent, well the tax the tax hit on that is going to be twenty thousand dollars. Is it better to pay that now versus pay the hundred grand over the term of the loan? And again, you you know what your cash reserves look like, so that's really the decision you as a business owner need to make. When would you have made the determination of whether you're going to do the loan or take it as the grant? Do you did you have to make that on the front end? Do you make it on an ongoing basis? How does that when you got to make that decision? Are you talking when you got the idle grant versus the PPP loan? Right. Well, because what we're talking about is like if you take the PPP loan as a loan, then you pay interest. But if you take it as income. Um, oh, you take it as, as you take you take it as loan forgiveness. So that's 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 oh, okay. what loan triggers, forgiveness. That's okay. what triggers the, triggers the tax effectively the taxable event. Um, and when can you make the decision? And, and can anybody make the decision, or do you have to meet certain rules? Uh, there's no certain. It, it really is just a choice that you make. Um, so what, now the, the SBA and your banks, your business owners' banks, are starting to roll out the PPP loan forgiveness applications. So um, this is really the time that you'll be talking with your banker and your CPA to, just to make the decision. I mean, and again, I would argue that it might be tax tax advantageous to you to pay the, to basically pay the tax up front now. And it, and I would say too that if more there is possibility that you know the rules could change again on how they're handling forgiveness so that you know the expenses could be recognized, but as of right now, they're not. So the time really is to get with your CPA and your banker and figure out what the best option and solution is for you. Yeah, no, that's, that, that is serious, that's serious stuff. Cause I think, or at least I, I was not aware that they were going to, you know, how the whole process works. I was like, how are they going to determine who's forgiven? Who's not? When does that come due? Um, when is that going to happen? Like you said, how does it factor into taxes? And so I guess they're getting more clear on that information now. Right. So, yeah, the information, you know, I sometimes feel like the uh, PPP loan has been as clear as mud. (laughs) 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 But but here's a real opportunity to talk to your CPA and get, get advice or to really think about what's the best solution for you. Again, like I said, knowing that we've got some potential economic uncertainty coming as we go into 2021. Right, right. No, make, make, makes complete sense. Any, any, anything else interesting in the tax world going on that a business owner might want to be aware of before end of year? Well, actually, the CARES Act did make a change in bonus depreciation on leasehold improvements. And that sounds like an awfully boring topic, quite honestly, but it does have a tremendous, ta- it, it's got a great tax advantage to you. So bonus depreciation, if you don't, if you and your listeners don't know what that is, that's effectively when I buy something, rather than depreciating it over the course of the useful life of the asset, I can take the depreci- 100% of the depreciation in the year that I purchased it. Well, the CARES Act, so imagine the tremendous savings that would be to you, not just from a bottom line perspective, but from from a tax savings perspective too, because you get to you know lower your net income by that 100% of the depreciation or the cost of the asset. Um, so, but again, you know the decision you'd want to make there too is 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 
investing in the asset before the end of the year, again, worth the cash trade-off. Mm. So, you know, here again, if you buy a $100,000 piece of equipment and you get to depreciate it now, great, you'll save, you know, again, the, assuming a 20% tax rate for tax bracket, you would save $20,000 in taxes, but you had to give up $100,000 worth of cash to get that 20 grand savings. Is that worth it to you? Right. So it's, but it's, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous deal, but you just have to think strategically with an investment partner like you, is that a good use of my cash right now? That would be a, <laughs> something you would have to think through, right? Cause you're like, man, 2021 seems like it's going to be crazy. And, and, right. and is it worth it to keep some of that cash? But it's pretty cool that, that it's available to the tax savings. Right. So, so here's a question that I have for you that I was researching that, uh, you know, I was going to actually call you and ask you, but you're on the podcast now, so I can ask you. And this may sound super simplistic, but, you know, again, I'm a financial advisor, not a CPA. So like the, 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 the 401k rules under Joe Biden, he's proposing a, a possible change that's going to benefit potentially lower income um, families, where instead of doing the tax deduction that you get. So right now the rules are if you make a hundred grand, you put 10 grand in your 401k, you, you, you only have to pay taxes on 90. Right. Um, right. But Biden wants to make it a credit. So he wants to say, take away the deduction and make it a credit uh, for how, you know, for how much money you put into it. And I was like, I don't really understand the difference between the deduction and the credit. How, how does that whole process work? So a credit is basically a dollar for dollar reduction of the tax liability. So let's say he, let's do your example of the $10,000 contribution to your 401k, which reduces your taxable income from a hundred grand to 90. If you look at it as instead of it being a reduction to your net, your taxable income, you look at it as a credit. Let's say that your tax liability was, magically $10,000. If we take the 401k as a credit, your tax liability now becomes zero because it's a dollar for dollar reduction. Whereas if you think of your um, your idea where it's a $10,000 deduction against your income, it reduces your your taxable income from 100 grand to, to 90 grand like you're saying, and there is still going to, you're gonna have less tax to pay. So if we think of like the 20% tax bracket, your it your the tax impact or tax savings doing treating as a deduction is two thousand dollars, ten thousand times twenty percent. So a credit is a much more favorable option uh, solution for taxpayers because again it goes back to the idea that it's a dollar for dollar reduction of your tax bill. Oh uh, yeah, that makes sense, and it makes sense now because they they were going to cap the credit at some number. I don't have it in front of me, so I won't even mention what I think it's going to be, but. Right. Now, now, I was like, oh, okay, now it makes sense on how it'll benefit, you know, um, l- lower. Because they're basically saying, hey, here's the revenue we get or, or we lose from it. Let's shift that to people who make less money. Um, right. And and it would, I think that would be a great encouragement and incentive to want to invest in your 401k because you're getting, you know, the, the dollar for dollar reduction. So I get to save and cut, cut down on my tax bill. Right, right. Okay. I think I like this format too. I think I ought to have you on here like once every few weeks and we do something short and sweet like this where we, what's new in taxes? I can ask yeah. you some tax questions. 
It doesn't have to be super. Yeah, I, I yeah like this a lot. exactly. Well, and you know, too, um, you know, next week I'm doing that talk before Amogee and I'm hoping to get lots of questions from business owners so that could maybe kind of see what we talk about for the next time. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, and, and then we got to get that Twitter handle for you. Uh, yeah, Allison the CPA. Allison the CPA. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'll have to see if I can hang, sign up for that one. <laughs> mm, ch- ch- check it out right now, because you know, because with the one L, it, uh, I'm, I'm sure you probably can find it. Yeah, I was going to say, considering it's not very common to have Allison with one L, so. <laughs> well, let, 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 let everybody know how they can how they can find you if they are interested in talking more about topics we talked about today, the PPP loan and the, and the expense deduction rule for 2020. If you want to get a hold of me, please look on my website, rifemartincpa.com. And um, then you want to, uh, or you can reach out to me via my website or my email address, which is allison at rifemartinaccounting.com. Um, and Rife is and spelled R-E-I. F like Frank, F like Frank, M-A-R-T-I-N. So anyway, I'd love to talk to anyone who needs some help or wants to learn more about taxable income, so or tax strategies. I think Steve just Steve just checked the Twitter. Is that that's Allison the CPA? No. No results. Uh oh, there it is. You should go get it now. All right. How do I go get it? So you, just like sign up and pay. Do, do you already have a, you already have a Twitter Twitter account or no? Yep, I do. So you can you can either create a new one or you can go into yours and and do like change your profile name. Oh, okay. And then you can just make it Allison the CPA. I'm doing it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good day. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, my pleasure. Thanks for coming. All right. I hear. A lot of times, people who spend thousands of dollars on courses to learn how to invest, I've heard people spend hours and hours reading all kinds of blogs and uh, books on how to invest, some conflicting. Many of them are not from professionals who do it all the time. And so a couple of years ago, I wrote a book, Retirement Investing 101. It sells on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, but you can get a free PDF copy on my website at stonehillwealthmanagement.com. I put it on my website at the shock of other folks that I know that are in business. They're like, Philip, why do you put it on a website and, and make it free? I was like, listen, I just, people don't want to go buy it. That's fine. I want to get the information out there. I wrote it in a short, simple, easy to read format, not a lot of technical jargon, but allows you to read the book and walk away knowing, all right, here's how I should invest my money for retirement or how I should expect a financial advisor or wealth manager to advise me on doing it so I don't come into a meeting feeling not smart. But it's a, again, short, simple read. Go to StonehillWealthManagement.com. You can get a free PDF copy because ultimately some people might say, oh, what about regular investing? I'm like, listen, when you say investing for retirement, you can interchange that with becoming financially independent, becoming financially free. If, if I break down everybody's financial or investment goals, it's I want to one day be in a position to work because I want to, not because I have to. That's what retirement means. And this is what this book helps you do. So get your free PDF copy, share the link with your friends, and let's get back to the show. All righty. We are moving to the principal segment. So we're going to be talking about principles that affect you know, your wealth, your happiness, all aspects of your life. And we're going to be going through a series for the next few weeks over like the major fears. 
So the first one we're going to talk about is the fear of poverty, or AKA the fear of being broke. So what is the fear of poverty? It's, it's the fear of having no money or fear of not having the financial security you want. The fear of struggling to get by uh, financially, which when I say fear, I believe that everybody has some form of this fear in, in one or two different ways, right? Or they may have multiple fears. But how does it manifest itself in action, right? So it's, it's one thing to have the fear. It's another thing to say, okay, how does the fear impact me? So where people who succumb to the fear, here's some examples of what they end up doing. It's the person who goes and gets a safe job. They say, hey, don't really want to do this. This is not really my passion. And so since I'm afraid of having no money, no financial security, I'm going to go get this quote unquote uh, safe job because it's going to make me secure. Or it's the person that is afraid to learn to invest. So they rely 100% on their company or government pension for their financial security versus learning how to invest and have something supplemental. Or it's the business owner who doesn't make the investment in their business they know they should be making to get to the next level out of fear of saying, okay, I have this cash, I have this cushion, I don't want to take this and and lose it, and it ends up stunting their business growth. And uh, for those of you who, some of you may have experienced it or some of you may have seen other people go through it, just you know, me personally, one of the big reasons why I've never worked for anybody was watching my father, who's a hardworking person, lots of character. You know, in college, he worked weekends, did a lot at his safe and secure job. And one day they cut him off or they, they, they let him go and the financial security was gone for all of us. And so the illusion of a safe job is just that it's it's an illusion. And I don't know where my dad was. I'm not even saying that he worked that job out of fear. I don't haven't gone into that. But the point is, a lot of people who feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I know I want to be doing something else that maybe can provide me more long term security, like having side income, having a side hustle, starting a business, going this route, they say, I'm gonna stay in a safe job, which out of fear of poverty, and it ends up hurting later on down the road. Or, again, a a lot of locally, um, I talked about this before, you had in Dallas the, the the Dallas firefighters and police people who had their pension plan adjusted significantly after years and years of thinking they were going to have X amount of dollars coming in. And, and, and the ones that solely relied on that as their income source in retirement had the downsize. And what are they going to do about it? That That's an example of how the fear can hurt you. And again, I mentioned the business owner example already. So let's let's look at the opposite and let's look at what some successful people that I know, uh, some have been on the podcast, have done to overcome their fears and, and, and turn the action of overcoming the fear into a positive, right? So I've had Larry Kemp on the podcast a couple of different times. You should go check it out, both episodes. But in the episode, we talked, I learned about, you know, Larry Kemp Growing up in the business, going to go work in corporate America, going back to the business, going from having money to not having money. And recently on the on the episode from this year, he went through a, a time period where he lost everything financially. But because Larry had learned the skills of being an entrepreneur in a short month period of time, he was back closing deals, making money and getting back what he lost. But it was it was because he didn't let fear move him to a false security and he learned the skills necessary to 
do need to do, right? That's ultimate security. When you learn how to, it's kind of like, I like to use the example of a lion in the zoo and a lion in the wild. The problem with the lion in the wild or in the zoo is if they ever go back in the wild, they're going to starve to death because they've been fed the whole time. And so um, not that everybody has to be an entrepreneur, but I think everybody ought to know how to create their own source of income, whether it's a side hustle or whatever, because there's a lot of false security in a, in a safe job, a quote unquote safe job. And whatever fear you have of stepping out and doing it or whatever, you, I think you should want to move through that so that you can ultimately build better security later. And that's the Larry Kemp story taught me, you know, taught me a lot of or showed me a lot of because I'd already believed in it. Uh, another example is a client um, that I have. When I met him, he was sitting on lots of cash, right? You know, making good money, sitting on lots of cash. And intuitively, he he knew that, hey, I, I have a fear of investing and I need to just let go of that fear and start investing because this cash is not going to help me reach my financial goals. So when we first sat down, we, we ran two plans. Plan A was, hey, if you keep going on the path you're on, here's how much money you're going to have in retirement. And, and it, was a, it was a decent amount because he's a, he's a good saver. But then I said, okay, if you, if you just start small and start investing a little bit of the money that you have every single month over a period of time, here's the plan that you'll have. And that plan gave him a lot more security in retirement because he potentially have more money. And over a short period of time, he built up a pretty nice size portfolio in the hundreds of thousands of dollars by consistently saving and putting away money and overcoming uh, the fear little by little. Last story of, a, uh, of, of an example, and this is a business story, is the Jeff Bezos and Amazon story. And a lot of people hear about the successes of, of Amazon, but they had like a lot of losses, a lot of losses. What, what him and his team likes to do is take lots of small losses, and then when there's a win, they invest a lot of resources in the win. So AWS, which is a money-making machine, is an example of a win, right? started in 2006. In a, in a short, simple, non-nerve way, what AWS is, it's like infrastructure for internet projects, which requires lots of computing power, lots of just all kinds of nerd stuff that I don't even want to go into, and I don't even fully understand myself. But if you look at a lot of the startups that went from being small to big. A lot of them built their their companies on AWS's platform. Think of it like this. Think of it like if you're a developer and you're building a city, you got to have infrastructure uh, to build the, the city on or build the neighborhood around. AWS provides that infrastructure for startups to build their companies on. And that project started as a need, as, a, as something they needed because they were starting lots of different projects and they needed it. And they're like, oh, hey, wait a minute. We have all this capacity for a team to do this, we can do it for a few other companies and it built into a huge business, right? But for AWS, there's probably five to seven other, like Fire Phones, right? That's an example of they invested a hundred and, well, they had to write off $170 million because Fire Phone was just terrible. It was basically, they tried to make an iPhone, Amazon iPhone, and it was terrible, right? The fact that most of you probably never heard of it just points to how terrible that, that execution was, but they tried it, right? Had to write off $170 million uh, and moved on. Another one was they they bought a company called Cosmo.com in 2000, and it delivered small items to people. Uh, it closed down in 2001, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that Amazon 
learned from that and it eventually developed into Prime Delivery, right? Which was what they were early trying to do through that company. But Prime Delivery now is one of the most important drivers of Amazon's success. So the, the more the story is, one of the mysteries of life is that the things that we want in life are behind the doors that we fear opening the most, right? It's, it's making that investment in a business that you don't want to make. It's learning about investing and taking small steps towards investing, even though you fear um, losing money. It's taking steps forward. It's, hey, not believing in the false securities that we believe in, in our culture, and, and taking those risks so that we can have better long-term security. Most people don't get what they want in life because they stop at the fear. Don't be most people, y'all. To wrap up today, I took a week. So we talked about in the last podcast, taking Facebook off my phone. And what I also ended up doing, too, was just taking a week of not watching CNBC, you know, the the the, the stock market news. Again, I told you I don't really like watching it, but I was like, let me just not watch it, right, and see if I could stay up to date on what clients' questions might have and found out that, yeah, I, I was a lot more peaceful. Clients really didn't, you know, ask much about it. I still knew what's going on because I'm watching the markets myself, and I and I was like, man, so so much of life is just uh, noise, and and we could find a lot of peace in cutting off the noise. So for those of you who check the markets every day or watch the news every day to think that's going to make you smarter, it's not. It's making you less smart. Save yourself some time. Give yourself some peace. Turn off all that noise. Go read a good book. Go write. Go run. Go spend time with your family and enjoy your weekend. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.